Good morning, everyone. So this is week 10 of the gospel series. Week 10. Can you believe it's been 10 weeks? Uh, and this is the last week of the gospel series also. So we will be seeing the conclusion of the gospel as if there could be one. Um, but let me see if I can control these slides. I think I can. Let's go. All right, so our first scripture is going to be Revelation 21. We're talking about the end of the gospel, if there is an end of the gospel. And uh, obviously we're going to be starting in Revelation. All right, so Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Uh, Real quick, let's pray. Uh, Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to preach, teach, uh, whatever I'm doing up here. I thank you for your word. I pray that you will speak through me. I pray that this won't be my opinions. I pray that it will be your Holy Spirit. Um, I thank you so much for your good news, and I pray that it can really be good news to us. Uh, In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so new heaven, new earth, first heaven, first earth are gone. There's no longer any sea. But then we get this new uh, Jerusalem coming out of heaven. It looks beautiful. And so this is kind of like, a, it's pretty hopeful, but th- this is obviously way in the future. This is not, we're, we're not seeing this in the next, I mean, I don't know. This is way in the future. And so um, in light of these end times, with this image that we have of the end times, what do we do now? What do we do about it now? Right. Um, So to better understand the end times, the way that you understand the end times is to understand the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The way to understand the kingdom of heaven is to understand the gospel. Uh, If we go to Matthew four. We're going to be in Matthew for the rest of the time. Uh, But if we go to Matthew four, the first mentions of the gospel uh, that. Jesus, the first time Jesus starts preaching the gospel, it's Matthew 4.15. Um, I can see y'all squinting in the back. I'm sorry. Uh, Matthew 4.15 says, Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. So the first mentions of the gospel, the first mentions of the good news, you always hear good news, preaching the good news. Hey, Aunt Diane. Sorry. Uh, you, you always, hey, it's so good to see you. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, you always hear the good news. And then you also hear it in the king. He says the kingdom of heaven is coming near. It's always almost in the same sentence. Good news. Kingdom of heaven is coming near. And so this reminds me of if I were to try to put myself in that area, it reminds me of when we had murmurings of the trash pandas coming to town, right? You remember that? We're like, okay, we're gonna get a semi-pro baseball team. It's gonna be the trash pandas. That name really stinks, but I guess it's better than nothing. And then remember, you're driving over by uh, 565 and you started seeing the construction, right? And you started seeing things get built and you're like, wow, that stadium looks kind of nice and the logo's kind of nice. And you start seeing people around town wearing the T-shirt. You start seeing it on the news every single day. You see sponsors and all this stuff, right? And you get murmurings of this kingdom 
coming to town, right? Now imagine if, not the trash pandas, imagine if like the Dallas Cowboys were to come to town. What if, what if the Dallas Cowboys are now going to come and be the Huntsville Cowboys? Could you imagine how much bigger that would be, right? That this billion-dollar franchise is going to come to small little Huntsville, small little Naphtali, this little town by the sea. This huge kingdom is on its way to this small little town by the sea. And these people living in darkness have seen a great light. So that's kind of what it was probably feeling like in those times, right? And then you, this guy who's preaching Jesus and his cousin John the Baptist, they're preaching about this kingdom, and there's going to be a king, and he's saying, repent, and there's salvation, Right? I can get salvation from this new kingdom. And then you start hearing about blind being able to see, deaf being able to hear, lame being able to walk. I can't imagine how cool that would have been to be in that little area. This is actually the area. Um, and just have people, these two guys just preaching and talking about this kingdom. What is this kingdom going to be like? Obviously, you're going to be wondering, what is this kingdom going to be like? And so Jesus, he sits down with the people in Matthew 13. And he explains what this kingdom is going to be like. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on today. So um, the parabolic discourse, it's, a, it's kind of a cool name. So uh, fun fact, fun fact, the book of Matthew was written for a Jewish audience. And Jewish audience would have their holy book had five books, right? The Torah had five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the book of Matthew has five chunks of Jesus' teaching. It has five discourses. I didn't know this before. It's pretty cool. So the first sermon, first discourse, we all know it. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5. Uh, second is Matthew 10, when he sends out the 12. Uh, that's called the Little Commission. Like There's a Great Commission at the end, and then there's a Little Commission in Matthew 10. Uh, then this is the third one. This is called the Parabolic Discourse. This is seven. In Matthew 13, you get seven different parables that Jesus preaches about the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what we're going to focus on. And then the fourth discourse is Matthew 18, and then you can look it up yourself. But uh, so Matthew 13, if we start at verse 1, you see this nice little image. <laughs> uh, I'm, the only, I, I'm the only one flipping paper. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Okay, it says that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. So that's what we see, this nice little picture, right? And so he starts with the first parable. It says, he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came up and came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So the first time he tells this, this parable, they don't get it, which is pretty reasonable. Uh, so he explains it. And we're going to jump to verse 18. We're going to jump to verse 18 where he explains it. So it says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. 
When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes <clears throat> and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, it, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling along the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So this is probably a very familiar parable for all of us. I'm going to try to not spend too much time on it, but it's not a parable that we can hear too much. you know. So verse, verse 19, we see that there's the first place where the seed will fall is on the path. And so who's the enemy on the path? What's the metaphoric enemy on the path? Anyone? The birds, right? And the birds, they, they come and they take the seed before it can even get root. And so these are people who... The gospel it just bounces off of them like water off a duck's back, right? And we all know these people. And we've all we've all probably been these people, right? Where you could sit down with Jesus Himself and Billy Graham and JD, and still you wouldn't. By the end of the conversation, you're like, "No, I'm good. I'm going home and playing my video games." And I think these birds, they can be like narratives in society um, that can harden our heart before we even hear the gospel, you know? Um, there's narratives in society about, like, what we'll see on the news, maybe, like, what Catholic priests do. And we'll be like, there's people who are never going to go to church because of what they heard on the news about Catholic priests. Or there's people who are never going to open a Bible because of what the slaveholders did with the Bible. And they're just, nah, I'm not listening to that, no. There's people who are never going to understand the gospel also because they live in a Muslim country or a Hindu country or an atheist country. And... Honestly, that's kind of scary for me to think about, that there's people who are never going to hear, there's people who are never going to understand the gospel um, in the world. That's really hard for me to swallow. But the beautiful thing about this is that Jesus is acknowledging those people, right? <clears throat> and if Jesus is acknowledging these people, it means he's aware of these people, he's aware of this problem, and that means that we can trust him with it, right? If a king is aware of something, we should trust him to work it out in his own way. Uh, but as for us, what, what do we do? If we find ourselves on the path or if we find ourselves near someone on, on whose heart is like the path, uh, I'd say pray for them. Or if you feel like you, you don't understand the gospel at all, ask someone. Ask Jesus. Um, ask God. Ask someone around you um, to help understand the gospel. Second area is the rocky soil. So seed falling on rocky ground is someone who hears the word and they're like immediately they're like, yeah, this is awesome, but it's kind of shallow. This, this is a warning, hey, don't be shallow with the gospel. Have you ever been like shallow with some kind of conviction? Have you ever been like really, I was really into like hiking two years ago, right? And then trouble came around, I got busy and I stopped hiking, right? We all have had these kind of fads. We've all had shallow convictions. But what Jesus is saying with this is when it comes to the gospel message, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, don't don't be shallow. Right. This shouldn't be just a phase that you go through. This should be something that's deep, deep, deep rooted in you. Uh, he's trying to make sure that you are um, because persecution is what gets rid of the message in this situation. Right. So he wants you to be persecution proof. 
Is the gospel in your heart deep enough to where you are persecution proof? The third is the seed along the thorns, right? And so any of us in big capitalism America, right, we're the dream chasers, we're busy, we're ambitious, we're going to go and get it. We're going we're gonna to get a, I don't know, six-figure salary and we're going to have, I don't know, crypto, whatever. Uh, this, this should hit us, right? The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And uh, I remember in college, this was so hard for me because I had all my classes and I had all my, I was trying to build my resume and I was trying to just do all these things. And I felt myself too busy for God, too busy for the message. And uh, that whole like, you know, you hear the message and you'll think, oh, yeah, I hear you, but, yeah, I hear you. It's a really good message, but that's that's the heart that has thorns around it, right? The buts, the buts, the but my family, but my job, but my classes, but my friend, but my girlfriend, but my boyfriend, right? These are all the excuses. These are all the thorns that can choke out the message of the gospel. And so for this person, appreciate it, uh, for this person, Jesus is trying to get them to be uh, distraction proof. <laughs> if the last one was persecution proof, this one you need to be distraction proof. Yeah, and then the, the next seed is the good soil. I hope I'm not taking too long on this point, but uh, the good soil, right? This is the fourth type of heart that will receive the gospel, that will receive the good news, the, king, the message about the kingdom of heaven. And... It says, this is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Uh, it could be discouraging hearing this sermon or hearing this, this parable, right? And seeing that three out of four seeds might amount to nothing. Three out of four seeds that you throw, that Jesus throws, might amount to nothing. But the beautiful thing is that the one seed that does get into some good soil, it produces a crop of 30, 60, 100 fold, right? And so instead of getting discouraged about the thorny soil, the rocky soil, and, or the seed on the path, we can be encouraged by the one person who gets it. They'll, it's 60 times what was sown. Our neighbor, uh, she, she grew tomatoes, and she, <laughs> so random, but she grew tomatoes uh, in her backyard in just a little pot. And she grew so much tomatoes that she was like, please come over to my house, take tomatoes. I have way too many tomatoes. Please take our tomatoes. And me and Ariel, we've had uh, some tomatoes. Uh, our pasta is very nice at the, at the Martin house. Come over for pasta. Um, but that's, that's the benefit of hitting the good soil. So main ideas of this parable is he's not even talked about the kingdom yet. He's talked about how to receive the message about the kingdom. And he's saying, what is, he's asking you, what is the condition of your heart? Before I even start talking about the kingdom of heaven, what is the condition of your heart? Right? Before we even talk about it, are you persecution proof? Right? Is, is, are you going to bury this deep or are you just going to be shallow about it? Are you going to be able to get through uh, distractions or are you going to later on be distracted by your job and try to get a bunch of money and forget about it? Um, what is the condition of your heart? All right, so next one is the parable of the weeds, and this is 
heavier than I expected it to be. So, <laughs> verse 24, Matthew 13, verse 24. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, excuse me, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvest. I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So, surprise, surprise, they don't really understand that. So we're going to jump to 36, jump to verse 36, where he further explains the parable of the says, then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. <clears throat> the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, uh, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. All right. Uh, you know who talks about hell the most in the whole entire Bible? It's our sweet, sweet Jesus. He talks about hell more than anybody. And uh, this is a parable where it comes up. The place with the blazing furnace and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, so very immediately we get this sense that there is, okay, there's two distinct destinies for people. There's two distinct destinies for the things that are in this field. And he lets us know what are the, when he explains it, he tells us, okay, so the sower in this field is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. The enemy is the devil. And then the harvesters are the angels. And so they ask two questions. The first question is, where in the world did the weeds come from? Right? Where, do the, where did the weeds come from? You can see the weeds. They look just like the wheat. And so they're probably a nuisance. I had weeds in my yard this year. They look, it looks terrible. And uh, <laughs> they're wondering where in the world did these weeds come from. And Jesus says, this is corruption and it was sowed by the evil one that's what he says uh could you imagine like back in the in the beginning of time in genesis 1 it says in the beginning god created heaven and earth it didn't say he created heaven and hell it says he created heaven and earth right the guy he plants the seeds in his field he didn't start the fire when he was planting the seed his intention was just to have a field full of wheat that was his intention. But then the field, it gets weeds in it. And then he has to go and start this fire up. It wasn't his intention. It wasn't God's intention to have to build a fire. It was, inten it was his intention to build heaven and earth and dwell with us. Come on. Come 
And now, because the enemy has sowed corruption into the world, there's two distinct destinies, and there is that option. And so the other question that the... I guess I could put this picture up there, too. The other question that the disciples ask is, hey, can we pull these weeds up right now? And he says, no, 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 no. Do not. Do not pull the weeds up right now. And why does he say that? Well, first of all, because... It's hard to tell which is a weed and which is a wheat. He's saying it's don't get into pulling weeds. That's not your job. Right. Christians, <laughs> we get so into weed pulling. We get so into trying to figure out, oh, you're from Satan. You're from Satan. You're from God. You're from God. You're good. But you're from Satan. And I'm, we need to get rid of these evil people. Um, and he's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. You can't tell. You can't tell. Also, imagine if. Well, we don't have to imagine hard to imagine judging Christians, but imagine if God were to do the same thing to us. Like immediately when he saw a weed on earth, he would have just plucked it out. Imagine if immediately the first time you sinned, he just plucked you out. He's like, nope, 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 nope. But instead, he waits until the end of time. He waits until the end of days to give us our verdict. Um, But he is, this is important, he is committed to dealing with the evil. He is committed to dealing with the wrong in our world. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from my favorite book, one of my favorite books is, says, if even God doesn't propose to judge a man until his last days, why should you and I? Even God doesn't propose to judge a man until his last days, why should you and I? So Jesus is saying, one, I see that there's evil. Don't pluck it out. I'll pluck it out at the end of days. You just focus on not being one of those, right? This will be sorted out later. All right. So next parable. It's a lot of parables today, guys. Um, that's what we're at church for this, right? Where else are we going to? Um, so the next parable is the parable of the mustard seed. And we probably all heard it. Verse 31. We're going to jump back to Matthew 13, verse 31. And it says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. Nice. It's pretty simple, right? He started this thing. He started this whole gospel of the kingdom uh, with 12 high school fishermen boys, right? Uh, I think if, if our young adults ministry was around Jesus, we'd be the oldest people. Right. That was actually of the 12 disciples. We'd be older than most of the 12 disciples, which is crazy to think about. And he takes these 12 kids who are fishing. And (laughs) through them, we are here today, 2000 years later. That that's really staggering to me. The 12 fishermen boys from some lake in the Middle East. (laughs) The message got to us 2000 years later, millions of people. Millions of people, millions of Bibles, millions of churches all over the world. Uh, And that's kind of like the the mustard seed. But one thing I didn't notice before when I read this is that when he says it's big at this tree. It's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So I used to read that and think, wow, it's so nice. The kingdom of heaven can be like a nice shady tree for all the birds to sit and have a nice house. But remember the birds from the last parable? They weren't good things, right? The birds were the things that 
picked up the seed before it even got a chance to be planted in people's hearts. And so what he could be saying by saying, if this tree is big enough to house birds, is this kingdom is going to be huge. It's going to be enormous, so enormous that there's going to be room for some knuckleheads in there to try to screw it up. There's going to be birds near this kingdom. And so he's just warning us that. It reminds me of uh, New York City. Have you all been to New York City? It's beautiful. It's the biggest city in America. It's beautiful. But uh, you've never been there? One day. Um, and there's 10 million people, right, 10 million people in New York. You know how many rats are in New York? <laughs> there's 2 million rats in New York. So every five people, you get a rat. Every five people gets a rat in New York City. And in the kingdom of heaven, it's kind of like that. It's this beautiful, beautiful, huge kingdom. But it's, you got plenty of room for some rats in New York City. You got plenty of room for some birds. So it's just a warning to him, a warning to us, saying, hey, this is going to be huge. It's going to grow faster than you expect. But be ready for the birds. Be ready for some corruption. Be ready for some false teachers, false prophets, false disciples. All right. So next parable. And this is the last parable. Thank you for hanging in there with me. Is a parable of the hidden treasure in verse 44. So a key to understanding uh, this a little better is the key. The parable of the hidden treasure is after he goes back inside with his disciples. So first he was on the lakeside with all the people and then he gets tired and then he goes inside and he's with his 12. And so this parable is going to have a little different uh main idea with it. Verse 44, Matthew 13, verse 44, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. All right, so imagine you're working in a field, right? You're digging, digging a fence for somebody, and then you see a big old treasure. What do you do with it? You can't if you, if you take it out and you say, hey, I found this treasure, it's mine, then it belongs to the master, actually. There was a rabbinic law that if you're working on a field, you find a treasure, it belongs to the master. It doesn't belong to you. So what do you do in that case? You either give it to your master, you either steal it, which we're not going to do that, or you hide it again, bury it, <laughs> and you sell everything you have so you can go and buy the field, and now you own that treasure, right? It's like imagine if... Uh, I don't know, you're cleaning out someone's attic or something, and you find the Mona Lisa, right? <laughs> you're like, okay, oh, Mona Lisa, huh? They don't know that this is here. I'll pay you, how much would you pay? Someone's, you're cleaning out someone's house, and you find the Mona Lisa worth millions of dollars. I'll buy your house for 200000 I'll buy your house for 500000 I'll buy your house for a million dollars if the Mona Lisa is hidden in your attic, right? And so that's the same thing, right? I'll buy this field. I'll, I'll, give, you every, I'll give you everything. Because this kingdom of heaven is like this treasure. It's like finding the Mona Lisa. It's fi like finding the, the Declaration of Independence or something. And one of my favorite quotes of the last month that I heard about discipleship is this. It, oh, this is such a good quote. It says, salvation costs nothing, but discipleship costs everything. Costs nothing to be saved. Repent. Get baptized. Free. Completely free. Just repent and be baptized. But discipleship, <laughs> once you come out of the water, it's going to cost you everything. But 
the payoff is just, it's like buying a house so that you can get the most valuable painting in the whole entire world, right? All right. So these are our parables. These are our parables. Now we're going to go back. We're going to wrap up to Revelation 21. Now we can go back to Revelation 21. Now that we've seen some parables talking about the kingdom, now let's look at Revelation 21 in light of those parables. Everyone doing all right? Okay. So Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. All right, so once again, this is a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, if you close your eyes and try to think about that, it's ridiculous. Uh, and this obviously we can tell by some clues that this is not we're not going to be standing in North Alabama and looking at this. Why are we not going to be standing in North Alabama and looking at this? Because the first earth had passed away. So there's no earth is going to be destroyed. So this is somewhere else. We're going to be looking at this, seeing this happen somewhere else. Probably not this earth, not North Alabama, not <laughs> Chris 2701 Christian Lane, because the earth is destroyed and heaven is destroyed. That's crazy to think about, that uh, our souls are going to be somewhere else. Uh, somewhere else. With God, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's go on. The next verse. Verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Okay, okay, this is pretty cool. Let's keep reading. Verse 5 says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Huh. You know, I didn't even want to read that tonight or this morning. I did not want to read that part of the scripture. But I can't leave it out. I can't leave it out. And the reason why I can't leave it out is because we just read about the parable of the weeds. And this is the same thing of the parable of the weeds. Remember, there was the uh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. There was you got the wheat and then you have the weeds. You have the people of the kingdom and then you have the evil people. And this is the same thing, but just more detailed. And it probably stings more because it gets detailed about it. Right. The vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral. Right. Oh, gosh. What do you what do you hey, what are you calling us out for? It's easier when you just say evil people so that I can make up who's going to hell and who's going to heaven. Right. Um, but yeah, this is this is the parable of the weeds in Revelation 21. Uh, but if it is the parable of the weeds, it also could be showing God's mercy because he waits until the very, very end to do this. He waits until heaven and earth are destroyed. 
to do this. Right? He gives us the, as long as possible. He gives the weeds as long as possible to figure it out until he does it. But he does have to do it because he is a good guy. Right? It wasn't his intention when he planted the field to have the weeds in the field. It wasn't his intention when he put humans on earth for them to be able to choose good and evil and then choose evil and then go on and on and on with evil. Uh, but he, he has to deal with the weeds. So we can say, thank you, God, that you do deal with the weeds so that I don't have to. Um, I just want to let, let me just get in your kingdom. Honestly, it's, it's just so hard to think about. But it's also the opposite. The opposite side of this is so easy to think about. So if we do have a choice, why, instead of getting mad at the choice, let's make the choice. Right? So on the flip side, let's look at uh, verse 3 again. Oops. I'm almost done. <laughs> it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God will be with them and be their God. You'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Wait a second. So this is the last chapter of the Bible. God's end plan is just to be with us. That was it. That was it. That's all he's asking is he just wants to be with us. He just wants to dwell with us. He wants to be our God. He wants us to be his people. That's it. He, he, he creates earth. Right. He puts us in a beautiful garden just so he could be with us. And then it gets messed up. And so now, OK, it's messed up. I still want to be with these people, though. So let me send my son to die to be their sacrifice for their sin. Let me bring let me bring my son to start this this kingdom of heaven. So that, let me put my kingdom on earth. Let me put a spiritual kingdom on earth. Let me give them a new way of salvation right through my son so that it's free. They don't have to pay for it. They don't have to do goats and bulls and pigeons. <laughs> and this kingdom that my son is going to put on earth is going to transcend time. It's going to last longer than North Alabama. It's going to last longer than earth itself. It's going to last longer than heaven itself. This kingdom, I'm going to give them a choice to join it. Um, just so that they can be with me. That's a, I, that is amazing, right? That's God's end goal, so that he can dwell with us, so we can be his people. All that just so you can dwell with me, God. All that just so you can wipe a tear from my eye in the end of time. All that so you can take away my crying and all, all my pain. All that. You're going to split heaven and earth all for that. So... Uh, this is starting to look like the Mona Lisa in someone's attic again. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give everything for that. I think I will. My heart needs to be fertile soil. Sure. I'll do that. Easy. You want me to be a wheat and not a weed? Sure, I'll do that. Yeah. It's not even a comparison. This good news is really, yeah, it is really, really good news if I think about it in this aspect. That after earth and after heaven, God just wants to dwell with me. Amen. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. So I hope that we can look at this and 
in light of all these parables that we just read, I hope your brain isn't fried from all the reading. Uh, I hope we can realize how good this news is, that this kingdom he's talking about, that we have the privilege to witness, to live in this, this era, uh, it is really good news. And it's not just an ad in the paper, it's, it's infinity knocking at our doorstep. All right. I pray that our lives will be like a basket of wheat in his storehouse. I pray that our hearts will be like fertile soil that produces a crop. It's 30, 60 times what was sown. And I pray that we can gladly give up everything for this God. Gladly. This King, this Messiah. To God be the glory. Uh, That's it.